Welcome back to the Big Football Show, the Athletics Daily Big Ten Football Podcast. I'm Bill Landis. I cover Ohio State. Joined as I am every Tuesday by Audrey Snyder, our Penn State beat writer. And this is the internet's only podcast solely dedicated to the Maryland Terrapins and the Indiana Hoosiers. Let's do it. Let's do it. We will discuss nothing else on this podcast because there's nothing else of note happening anywhere else in the Big Ten East Division. Isn't that right, Audrey? Yeah, that's the way it looks, Bill. I mean, it's a... uh... A dumpster fire, to put it nicely. Is that, is that I think too harsh? that is no. I think that is that is on point uh, for what is happening both at Penn State and at Michigan, and we are certainly going to discuss that on this episode. But I figured we'd start with some better news uh, for some other programs in the Big Ten East, and, and that is Maryland and Indiana, mostly Indiana. Indiana's got uh, a ten next to its name now in the AP poll. <laughs> Can yeah, you what kind it? of what kind of world are we living in? It's like seventy degrees in State College. People are wearing shorts, putting up Christmas decorations, and Indiana's ranked tenth. What a world! Shout out to the Hoosiers, their first win against Michigan since nineteen eighty seven. Uh, I before either of us were born. Yeah. Um, I was born in eighty eight, and you were born in eighty nine. Yeah, yeah. So also shout out to all the people who were born before then who feel old now. Um, thirty eight twenty one win for Indiana and. They were every bit the better team on the field with Michigan, and that was a game that I thought Michigan would win. Um, if I were a betting man, I, I would have bet Michigan in that game as a three-point underdog on the road. I just thought Jim Harbaugh's team would get some stuff turned around after losing to Michigan State, and I was wrong. I also would have bet Penn State against Maryland, and I was wrong, and these are, these are the reasons why I don't gamble. Yeah, I mean, we apologized to Maryland last week for writing them off, and they beat Minnesota. Um, I think... You know, week one, everybody, we all overreacted to Penn State losing to Indiana and, oh my gosh, like the world's falling. But hey, you know, maybe Indiana's better than we thought because Bill Landis told us that Michael Penix was this guy and he was going to ride with them to the end. Um, (laughs) But now, like, Indiana's proving that, like, okay, Penn State's week one loss wasn't all that bad, uh, but Penn State's still really, really bad. But I just... To me, I was able to catch the end of that game. Um, they actually put it on the video board in Beaver Stadium. Like teams, it was like before or while teams were warming up. Um, I mean, you have nobody else in the stadium, so why not? Uh, so I got to watch that on the Beaver Stadium video board, and it's just to me like right now. It's last week, Bill. We talked about you know who's the second best team in the Big Ten. Um, now we'll see because Wisconsin's they are able to play this week at least as mm-hmm. of Monday. Um, but Indiana is, they're making a lot of believers right now. I mean, I just, having had a chance to see them play in week one, I mean, it wasn't pretty, but you look at the rest of the Big Ten and it's just, it's a mess. And so <laughs> kudos to Indiana for capitalizing. Uh, otherwise, you know, in an area where this this all just looks bad. Um, but yeah, I I don't know how it's going to look for them um, against that team that they're chasing, Bill. You know, the one that everybody's chasing in the Big Ten. I am Uh, familiar. You might have heard of them. I think you might write about them a little bit. But, um, hey, at least least they're capitalizing because the rest of this is just awful. So I have not – I've watched Indiana. I watched Indiana in the opener against Penn State. Um, okay. And I watched a little bit of the Michigan game. Watched most of the game against Michigan, and there are definitely there are a lot of things to like about Indiana, especially their their quarterback play. They have really good skill. Their defense mm-hmm. is good, and, and sort of always has been um, since Tom Allen got there. There are things about Indiana that give me pause. One is they are 13th out of 14 teams in the Big Ten in offensive yards per play. 
which is surprisingly low when you consider the, yeah. the talent they have there. Now, a lot of that's the Penn State game where they didn't play particularly well. They were better against um, Michigan last week, and they were better in their second game of the season. Um, but still, they're 13th in, in the in the conference in the yards per play. They're not particularly good on third down offensively. They're really good in the red zone on both sides of the ball, but they don't run it that great either on offense. So I'm Indiana's good. I, I think at this point, as we wait for Wisconsin to get back on the field and see what they are after a couple of weeks off, I, I think you have to say that Indiana is the second best team in the Big Ten, even though I said it was Penn State last week and I was wrong. Um, and you thought Penn I, State was going to win the rest of their games, Bill? Yes, I did. Whew. I thought Penn State was. I thought Penn State, Indiana, and Michigan were all going to finish six and two, and it looks like I'm going to take a big fat L on that prediction. Um, Yikes! But I'm a little. I'm still, even though Indiana's number ten in the country and just beat Michigan, had a really nice win, and it's three and zero. I'm still a little hesitant to embrace Indiana as the second best team in the Big Ten because of some of that underlying stuff that I've seen. It makes and they sense. play Ohio State in two weeks, like you said. So we'll get some answers on that. Um, but where, like, where are you on that? Are you are you all in on Indiana's second best team? And and you've seen both yeah. Indiana and Maryland, so I'm kind of interested in your perspective on both of those teams. Like, I think pretty clearly Indiana's better, but Maryland's offense is fun. I'm curious if you think that, like, is Maryland's offense better than Indiana's offense? Uh, that's a good question, Bill. I mean, I think right now what you're seeing is a Maryland team that's finding its footing, that's starting to get going. And what I liked about what they did against Penn State was, like, they came out throwing the ball like crazy. And then once they had a lead in the second half, they did not throw the ball much. Like, then it was just, all right, we're going to take over a game. We're not going to try and, you know, lose this game by having an interception, although Penn State would have needed a heck of a lot more than that to get back in it. Um, so I liked how Mike Loxley managed it, but yeah, Rakeem Jarrett, their wide receiver, I mean, he's incredible. Uh, he torched Penn state early twice, uh, touchdowns of like 42 and 62 yards, uh, in the first quarter. So I like that a lot in terms of like giving an edge to Maryland's receiving core, although seeing Indiana, um, They've got some nice receivers as well, but I, I just think right now for Maryland, it's going to be about how do you continue to develop your quarterback? Because right now, like you're riding high and things are going well, um, and I just they're a lot of fun to watch. But I, I mean, haven't seen both of them, Bill. You look at Indiana. Um, you thought, or I thought at least, a lot of it was like, okay, they don't look particularly great. It's week one, right? So how much of that do you cause on the offseason? All the weirdness surrounding this year. Um, but as they get rolling and keep winning, I, I I like it. I mean, to me, it's like you're right now, everything looks not great in the Big Ten except for Ohio State. Uh, so I think Indiana, you say, okay, yeah, sure, ride with it until you prove me wrong. Because that's mm-hmm. where I feel like right now. Like when I was doing Dear Old State with Matt Brown this morning, our Penn State podcast, I was like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable picking Penn State to win a game until they show me something, until they prove me wrong. Um, and that's where I'm at with Indiana right now is like, hey, prove me wrong. Show me that, you know, something's going to go wrong along the way. But Maryland, uh, it's a surprise, right? Like it's kind of it's a feel good story because you go from punching bag to looking like you're going to be a punching bag again to turning it around on a Friday night game against Minnesota to coming into Beaver Stadium and trolling the heck out of Penn State. I mean, whoever runs Maryland's social media account. I will give them the edge on Indiana in that department, Bill. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. They are trolling the heck out of people. And, you know, good for them. They deserve it. It, This sets up very interestingly uh, for Ohio State, the team that I cover. Um, We always try to figure out going into every season, those of us who cover Ohio State, like where is the potential 
difficulty in the schedule, whether it's one game or a stretch of games. And everybody would have said coming into the year, it's a second game against Penn State because it's it's earlier than that game ever happens. Now, it looks like we might be in the thick <laughs> of that stretch for Ohio State because they just played Rutgers, who is a, a plucky team, I think is the best comp- that's, that's compliment you can give them. Rutgers, yeah. um, and now they go on the road and play Maryland this Saturday. with And that's an, an offense that looks like it's, it's finding its stride against the defense that I think still has some questions. And then the week after that, it's Ohio State, Indiana. So, I mean, I'm not picking Ohio State to lose any of those games, but I think maybe one of them could get kind of interesting or at the very least a little bit pointsy and kind of exciting. Um, And I would not have anticipated that coming into the season. Yeah, nobody in their right mind would have. (laughs) I mean, I think that's just (laughs) – that's where we're at. Like, this season is just – it's so weird in so many regards. And, like, you know, watching some of these other games, you're just like – what in the world am I watching? I mean, Penn State hasn't been 0-3 since 2001 – um, it is, people are on edge around here to put it nicely. And it's just like, you don't, it's kind of like, you don't even know where to put the blame because there's so many things going wrong around here. And you look at Ohio state and it's like, you know what? Okay. It wasn't as pretty as, as people I'm sure probably would have expected, uh, last week for the Buckeyes, but it's still, again, you're winning, you're winning handily. Justin Fields still looks really good um Mm. so for me that's kind of like where the barometer is at is it's like okay we all need to lower our expectations because the big Ten's proving that we all should um but we can maybe knock ohio state down bill a little bit because they're not as invincible as i thought they'd be uh but again we're only three games into this thing uh even though i know at least from the penn state perspective it feels like we're about eight games into this so people are freaking out here just a little bit about about Ohio State. Um, I will say they were up thirty five to three at halftime, and then they started playing a lot of backups on defense. And Rutgers ran okay. like every trick play you can imagine, and the game ended up being forty nine to twenty seven. So it's much closer than any Ohio State Rutgers game we've seen. But if it, you can pretty easily wrap your mind around why, and I'm not sure that anything happened is like indicative of potential struggles to come mm-hmm. for Ohio State. But I am excited because because this defense does have. Questions about it still, even even if you take that Rutgers piece out of it. And I think they're questions that we're going to get real answers to because they are playing Maryland this week and they do play Indiana in two weeks. So I'm excited about that. But we can we can table that for, for later episodes uh, of the big football show because before we wrap up um, – we're not wrapping up soon, but we, we need to move on to, to what's happening at Penn State and what's happening at Michigan. And I think if you're listening, you'll probably get a little more of the Michigan side of things later on this week when Austin Meek and Colton Pouncey do their show on Thursday. And you can also listen to The Beat, our Michigan podcast, to find information on the uh, Spartans and Wolverines there. Um, We're, Audrey, going to spend more time talking about Penn State because it's the program you know best and it's a program I know a little bit. Um, But I will. A thing or two about, but before we, we, we like really dive in on what's going on with Penn State, I am curious your perspective on at the moment when you look at both situations, Michigan and Penn State, like which one to you seems more dire? I'm going to go Penn State just because there's nothing right now that excites me at quarterback, um, and that's a problem. Like to me, that's the that's the thing that you can't point to and say like okay, like it's just one fix, right? Like both of the both of those teams have multiple issues. Uh, but to me, you've got to have answers at quarterback first. And I feel like Penn State is in a worse spot there than Michigan, if that makes sense. Yes, I, I think so, too. I think what's happening at Michigan is just like the, the record is a little worse off than we thought. And the fact that Indiana is is better mm-hmm. than Michigan is a problem. 
but I still think that's more like status quo than it is like a stark difference from what we've seen in the past with Jim Harbaugh. And even, even if you look at their recruiting, it's not great. It should be better, but it's about the same as it's always been under Harbaugh. If you look at like player ratings and stuff like that, Penn State feels to me like it's taking a bit of a dip here, maybe a substantial dip. Yeah. And that's a, pr- and that's a, a plunge. problem. It's a plunge, yeah. Bill. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, to me, Saturday was it was bad on so many levels for Penn State, right? And we can dive into the game and all the levels of that was wrong. Uh, but really, like, it's one of those things when it, nothing's going your way. Like, it just, the hits keep coming. And that's what Saturday was because not only do you lose to Maryland and you look really, really bad doing it. Uh, but then on top of that, the top target on your 2021 board, uh, safety mm. Derek Davis Jr. from Gateway out in Pittsburgh, he picks LSU. So, I mean, the the only good thing for Penn State uh, on Saturday was that Derek Davis didn't pick Ohio State and he picked LSU. But again, <laughs> I mean, you're, you've got zero commitments from the top 10 kids in Pennsylvania right now in 2021 for Penn State. That's a problem. Uh, and that's something that to me, you look at the issues that they have on the field, especially at quarterback, uh, and that's a position that Penn State has struggled to recruit throughout the years. Now, yes, Sean Clifford was a four-star kid. He was an Elite 11 guy, highly touted, should be playing a lot better than he is right now, no doubt about it. But you look at the rest of that room, um, Penn State hasn't been able to get, since Christian Hackenberg, and we all saw how that worked out, they haven't been able to get that five-star guy. Um, that, to me, is like... What's got to change? Uh, now, obviously, that's way easier said than done. And there's only, you know, so many blue chip guys out there. And Ari Wasserman can tell you more about them on Friday, I'm sure. But um, to me, that's where the the biggest issue right now that I see with Penn State is the offense. And more specifically, it's at quarterback. And when you're down 35-7 to to Maryland and your quarterback's getting hit left and right, um, Sean Clifford got sacked seven times. This offensive line does not look better. That's been a theme here for years. Uh, your quarterback's struggling, but yet you keep him in the game, which, again, I don't agree with that decision on James Franklin's part to do that because who does this benefit when everything's going wrong? But I also think it speaks to the rest of your quarterback room that there's nobody there to really legitimately push Clifford. At least that's how I interpret it because how else do you explain 35-7 to 7 and you don't go to the bullpen? Right. So, so how does that change? Because, you know, Penn State had Justin Fields and lost him um, to Georgia. Mm-hmm. They were in the race for Caleb Williams in the class of 2021 um, and didn't get him. He's going to Oklahoma. Okay. Um, Kyle McCord in the class of 21 is a quarterback out of Philadelphia who's committed to Ohio State. And I'm not even sure if Penn State made an attempt to get him. Um, like, yeah, how much. is is James Franklin capable of turning his quarterback recruiting around in a way that people can be optimistic about. And that's really, I mean, that's been the issue with, with Penn state for years. I mean, this is like a pre pre Franklin issue. Um, you know, everybody of course thought Hackenberg was going to be the guy and, and all of that. Um, obviously that wasn't the case, but I mean, you got to go back, Bill, the last time Penn state had a quarterback taken in the first round of the NFL draft. I mean, you got to go all the way back to Kerry Collins. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's baffling. Um, when you look yeah. at, you know, the amount of pro prospects they've had and guys that they've turned out and uh, they've got a nice stretch of running backs here. But right now, I mean, how do you turn it around? And that's where bringing in Kirk Scirocco was supposed to be this immediate upgrade for the offense uh, through three games. It, they look worse. Uh, and that, that to me is like really the, the, the big surprise here um, because I, I don't understand in terms of 
it was supposed to be to make this offense more simplistic, right? But pre-snap, the quarterback knows what he's going to do. He reads the coverage. It's boom, boom, boom. Here's my decision. I make it. I go from there. But we're seeing Clifford miss guys when they are wide open. Um, we're seeing an offensive line where they keep shuffling guys during the game because they don't know who their best five are. If you don't know who your best five are against Maryland, like that's that's an issue. Um, so I don't, to me, I don't know how you go out and get these big time quarterbacks if your on field product isn't better. And we thought the on-field product was going to be better because you brought in a new offensive coordinator, you brought in a new offensive line coach. Um, but now it looks like maybe your issues are more so personnel than coaching, even though there are, there are plenty of coaching criticisms to go around here too. So I, I look at this from, a, from an outsider's perspective, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think to myself, well, Micah Parsons opted out, Journey Brown got hurt, and doesn't look like he's going to play this year, and those are your two best players. And when you lose your two best yeah. players, I think there is a reasonable assumption that, you, that you're gonna, not going to be as good as people anticipated you being. And I even put on top of that the fact that they were working in a new offensive coordinator in the weirdest offseason anyone's ever had. The idea that Penn State is struggling on the field a little bit is not surprising to me. This seems like a step beyond that. Yes. But then on top of that, you you pile on the fact that like the, when this happens in a college football program, the only thing you can really do is sort of look to the future and try to figure out where it's going to get better. And you look at Penn State's recruiting classes, and the 2020 class was was decent. Um, you know, yeah. it was it was probably on par mostly with what James mm-hmm. Franklin's done. The 2021 class, I looked this up because I was just curious. The average player rating in that class in 2021 is closer to the average player rating of Purdue's class, which is the worst class in the Big Ten than it is to Mm -hmm. Ohio State's class. Yeah. Which is at the top of the Big Ten. And that's like, if you're chasing Ohio State, that ain't the way to do it. No, and that to me, Bill, I mean, that's that's the thing right now, right? It's you look at it and you say, okay, I mean, people can't really get over the moon about this 2021 recruiting class. I mean, the fact that James Franklin came out and said that this class wasn't up to standards, I mean, that's... That's bold. I mean, I thought that was his most bold comment since the great to elite um, after Ohio State. So, I mean, right now you've you've got to try and come up with something. And I made the argument, um, and I stand by this wholeheartedly, that you know even if Penn State has Micah Parsons right now, they're still one and two at best. Maybe he makes a play against Indiana that swings the game. Maybe he meets Michael Penix at the pylon, um, and you don't have to worry about that two-point conversion. But to me, as bad as the Penn State offense has been, and it's not been pretty, uh, they can't run the ball either. You look at the Penn State defense, and they didn't have a coordinator change. You know, like you look at a Penn State secondary where you have three seniors uh, and a lot of you know competition at that other cornerback spot. This was supposed to be their best secondary in a long time. Uh, that The coaching staff was saying that. They were touting that. They felt that all four guys they had back there are going to be playing on Sundays. Um, right now, it doesn't look it. I mean, it, it really, it, it's dire. And you look at the touchdowns that, that they've given up. And back to your point a few minutes ago, Bill, when I said, you know, Ohio State, maybe there's some not as high as I thought, because I'm thinking, okay, look at what Jahan Dotson was able to do um, mm-hmm. against a really, really good team. But flip side, you look at Penn State and these touchdowns that they've given up in the last two weeks, Bill, Chris Olave, 26-yard touchdown reception. Chris Olave, 49-yard touchdown reception. Against Maryland, Penn State gave up touchdowns of like 49, 62, 38, and 34 yards. I mean, that's... I mean, and when your whole offseason study for the defense was focused around eliminating big plays, 
like what's changed, you know? And so, and so to me, that's, that's where you got to say, okay, you know, you've got issues. Um, even their kicker who only missed one field goal all last year, Bill, their kicker is one of four right now. Like you, you seriously cannot point to any three phases and say things are going well for Penn state. So, so both these programs that are, that are struggling a little bit right now, Michigan and, and Penn state, um, both have very high profile head coaches. I think there's some wonder on the outside of both programs. If, if either one might consider making a change, I think whenever you even broach that topic, you have to couch it with, this is a very strange year. Um, you know, two months ago, we weren't even sure the Big Ten was going to be playing this year. Motivation is, I think, is difficult to come by sometimes when you're playing in a season like this. And the, the results have been strange, I think, because we're trying to play a football season in a pandemic. So I'm yeah. not sure how crazy the coaching carousel is going to be in the end. But I'll ask you this about Penn State. Are we anywhere near a point where the administration there starts considering whether or not they need to make a change at head coach. Are we, are we far enough into James Franklin's tenure to know what Penn State is and what it's going to be when he's there? Or is there more? Is there a higher ceiling that he can attain that you think might keep him around for a few more years, even though this year right now is not going great? I don't think there's, there's any indication that his job is on the line. I don't think that. Um, I mean, he just got a new contract last winter. Um, but I do think, and this is probably like the – the sad and depressing part of it, I think Penn State's hit their ceiling under Franklin and is bouncing back back down to earth, back down to that reality. Mm. Um, you know, your window for a shot to get to the college football playoff is closed, and that's not what Penn State wanted to hear. That's not what anyone expected from a team that, before opt-outs and everything, was expected to uh, be number seven in the preseason. But your window's closed. And the rest of the way, Bill, I mean, I want to see some of these younger guys. I want to see a, more of a youth movement because right now with what they're rolling out there, they're not getting it done. And I think that's, we, we did start to see that against Maryland. Um, although it was mostly out of necessity because some of the older guys didn't look particularly great. Uh, we saw some movement up front where, you know, they're bringing in a young right tackle to try and get him some game reps and redshirt freshman Caden Wallace. We saw some changes in the secondary uh, because senior Lamont Wade was struggling and, and got banged up in the process. So, you're seeing more and more of these younger guys, which I think is kind of the way Penn State's going to have to trend because right now, like, it's just, it's not looking any brighter when you, you look at them the rest of the way and you've got to solve whatever it is that's going on with Sean Clifford. You've got to fix it. Uh, you know, you went out, you made all these coaching changes last offseason. You brought in a new receivers coach, a new offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach, a defensive line coach. Um, you already had a lot of transitions. So that's why I don't think you can go in and, you know, even think of changing the head coach right now. Plus, financially, um, your basketball coach just resigned. So you've got an interim basketball coach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at some point, that's probably, you know, you'd imagine you're going to open that up uh, for a search as well. So you're going through a pandemic. Uh, money is not, you're not exactly rolling in it here. Nobody is right now um, in terms of athletic departments where they usually are. So I just, I financially, I can't see how you do anything at this point. Yeah, it seems like it'd be really tough, and I, and I think I agree with you. I'm sure fans fans view it differently, but it's just it's very interesting to me that you know two two years ago, when Urban Meyer retired at the end of the 2018 season, I, I think 
some people in Columbus feared and others around the Big Ten wonder whether or not the gap between Ohio State and the rest of the conference was going to close. And I think that was a reasonable question to ask, if not a reasonable expectation that it would happen. And instead, what's happened since then is that Ryan Day is recruiting on another level than even Urban Meyer did, especially with his 21 class and the start he's off to in 22. Meanwhile, the two programs you would assume that were in the best position to close that gap and, and try to pull things even with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State seem to be falling off and in a much worse position than they were even two years ago. And the gap is is not shrinking. It is widening, and I think widening in a considerable way. Yeah, and that's the problem now because if, if you're Penn State, we've said for the last few years, oh, you're chasing Ohio State, you're chasing Ohio State. Um, now you're chasing more than that, right? <laughs> now you you find yourself chasing most likely the rest of the way, uh, Michigan. And who knows, you're probably going to be chasing Michigan State too. And it's just like how in the world they ended up at this point um, is, is perplexing in so many different areas. But, Bill, how do you even try to, if you're a player on this Penn State team, and there were some very interesting comments that came out of Penn State's postgame Zoom Saturday night, a lot of, hey, we got to look in the mirror. If guys don't want to be here, we don't want them here kind of stuff. Um, Jahan Dotson, one of the quietest, you know, most soft-spoken people on this team, said that, you know, they've got to figure this out. They've got to look at each other and say, hey, either you're basically you're in or you're out um, because their backs are so far against the wall. But I just, what are you playing for at this point, right? If, if you're any yeah. of these teams and, you know, we're seeing the pandemic, it's ramping up, you know, you, you look at... Uh, the numbers and how do you keep players focused during the most bizarre season ever when you're now 0-3 in Penn State's case? Like, this is a challenge. This tests your leadership from the coaching staff, but also amongst your players. Um, and that's why right now it's like, I, you know, I said it earlier, don't put any money on Penn State because I just, I have no idea what in the world they're going to roll out there one week after the next. I do believe, and we talked about this on four to six with A and B, the Ohio State podcast, that, that college football is it's as difficult as it's ever been to contextualize results because because this year is so good, and I think a major part of that is is what you just hit on there with the motivation factor. Once once your season's kind of over, you know, Big Ten put this extra championship week in there, and that's all well and good, and I think that's exciting, but I don't know if it's something that can keep guys focused in the way they need to be focused to even you know complete a season. And it's even it's hard to talk about it in those terms, but I think. Once you once you lose a reason to be diligent um, with like sort of your personal behavior and try to avoid catching this virus and or getting to a point where a team might shut down, um, I think it's going to be really hard for for a lot of teams that don't have something at the end of the tunnel, i.e., a championship, um, to keep that thing under control. So that that's part of it. But then there's also just the part of like if if you do get your guys on the field on Saturday, are you going to get them to be able to play in a way? Um, where you're playing the style of football you want to, because I think more than any other year, this can get away from you pretty quickly. Absolutely. And, and how do these teams continue to come together and build that camaraderie when you can't get guys together to go out to dinner and get on the same page? You can't, like all of these normal human interactions, you just don't have that. So I think that's where, you know, a lot of finger pointing can happen. And let's be honest, Bill, are you going to see players opt out for some of these Mm -hmm. teams now as they get away. I mean, I don't get a sense from Penn State that that's uh, going to happen, but you do have to wonder. I mean, you look at a guy like Pat Fryermuth comes back. um, He certainly didn't expect this. You look at Jason Owe, who still has plenty to prove, um, but, you know, he's 
after the game, I spent a lot of time on Zoom talking to Owe, and it's like, can you put your finger on how this thing is spiraling and why? And, you know, these guys are pretty much as perplexed as I am, which is, you know, pretty baffling because I don't see any practices this year. And they, you know, players and coaches are saying, yeah, we, we look good in practice. Like, we don't know what's happening when we come into this big empty stadium. Uh, but that's <laughs> that's just the way of the world right now. So I don't know if, if we're maybe seeing a preview of that Big Ten last place game this weekend uh, in Lincoln. I'm not quite sure on that just yet. Uh, But yeah, Penn State, Nebraska is certainly not going to be the game that uh, I thought it would at least be. I don't know if the Big Ten East is uh, going to be the most uh, palatable football moving forward for the rest of the year, but but I do think maybe it's become the most interesting division in college football when you have these two – once top tier programs and, and I think programs that have ambitions of being top tier um, kind of s- slipping a little bit. And I'm very curious to see where it goes. Like you said, Penn State plays Nebraska this week. Michigan's got a very interesting game against Wisconsin, which is coming back off a two week hiatus um, due to some COVID uh, positives in that program. But it sounds like that game is going to happen. So these are two huge games. Like they don't re- they don't mean much, I think, for, for the Big Ten as a whole in terms of the championship race. But they certainly mean a lot for two programs in Penn State and Michigan that are looking to get things uh, going back in the right direction. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Big Football Show. If you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a five-star review. Um, Let us know what we can do better, what you enjoy about the show. On Wednesday, Scott Docterman and Mitch Sherman will break down the Big Ten West. And like I said later this week on Thursday, Colton Pouncey, Austin Meek will have more about what's going on in the state of Michigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.